Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Episode of I'm Dying Light. I'm your host, Pastor Alex, and we're working through again the Gospel of Matthew. And today we'll be uh, tackling the cursing of the fig tree and the authority of Jesus challenged. And then next week we look to do the couple parables here as chapter 21 gets close to finishing. There's the parable of the two sons and the parable of the tenants. And that will conclude chapter 21. So we are still working through the, that uh, timeline of the Holy Week. And, uh, you know, we're getting very close to the end. But we're going to uh, obviously take our time, but work through the material uh, as, as we, uh, quickly as we can. But as I've always stated, as diligent and respectful to that. I don't want to rush anything, but I don't want to just linger and... Uh, go down a hundred rabbit holes on a show. Uh, other than that, just uh, check out the Saturday shows that are releasing. I'm trying to keep those under 10 minutes. And those are simply just a um, guide as we read the Bible together in a year and hopes that uh, we can uh, gather out some, some interesting takes and some new perspectives and things like that. And I hope that you are trekking along with me as we uh, go on this adventure together. Um, I'm actually recording two shows this week because I will be out of town next week. And, uh, so Friday's show will be pre-recorded and released, uh, you know, on time. So you don't have to worry about that, but I won't be able to get into my studio. So I have to get ahead of the game here. So let's, uh, dig into the topic at hand and let's see what we have in store. We are going to continue the journey beginning with the 18th verse in the 21st chapter of Matthew. This is Jesus cursing the fig tree. And like I said, we'll move right on to the authority of Jesus challenged. They're both relatively small sections. It runs 18 to 27. So if we work through both of them and we have a whole lot of time left, I might do a third section. If we get through it and there's like, you know, we've done 25 or so minutes, we'll just conclude the show and uh, you'll get the parables next week. So let's look at it and see what we get here. Verse 18. 
In the morning, as he was returning to the city, so now we're at Monday, he became hungry. And after seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went up to it and found nothing on it but leaves. And he said to it, may no more fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. And when his disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive, if you have faith. Verse 23, And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him, and he was teaching, and he said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? And Jesus answered them, I will ask you one question, and you will tell me the answer. But I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where did it come from? From heaven or from man? And they answer, and they discussed amongst themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Then why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they hold that John was a prophet. So they answered, Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So we have the cursing of the fig tree, right? So we uh, moved on into Monday now, and we have the authority of Jesus being challenged. Like I said, relatively short sections. Uh, the cursing of the fig tree, though, has kind of a nice little caveat to it here at the very end um, in discussion to prayer. However, we you know make it pretty blunt and simple to understand that section instead of just asking for whatever you want. Uh, it's asking for what you want within the confines of God's will for you. So we'll we'll talk to that a little bit more here in a moment. Let's kind of work through it. So spends the night in Bethany. Jesus returns back to the temple where he was at uh, the previous day uh, last week when we walked into Jerusalem. So now he's going back to that temple Sunday. He comes into Jerusalem. This is now Monday. And so he goes back to this uh, where he had flipped the tables over and drove out the money changers. And this is where he will spend the next several days teaching and debating with the religious authorities in Jerusalem. So this will kind of be his center point for the next couple of days. Uh, so then they get to this uh, fig tree, right? He's walking along. He sees this on the wayside. He goes up. He wants something to eat and uh, sees that it has no fruit. And he demands that it wither or that it bears no more fruit. And then the tree proceeds to wither. Uh, so Mark has a note on this from Mark 11, verse 13, and it's just simply not the season for figs. Even unripe figs should have been present uh, sometime around March or April, even though the main harvest has not yet arrived, which is around August and September, the leaves should have served as a reliable indicator of these early figs. If the early figs did not appear, neither will later ones. So it's pretty clear that Jesus knows what he's doing when he curses this tree. This is not just a innocent tree that just didn't have ripe fruit, but this tree had no fruit whatsoever and appears to not even go, to not bear any for that season. And so Jesus goes on to curse it. So this is a uh, enacted prophecy by him cursing. This foreshadows the judgment that God will visit upon the unbelievers of Jerusalem as Jeremiah 8.13 and Micah 7, 1 indicate, compare faithless Israel to the barren fig tree, as Hosea 9, 10 points to. Just as Jesus punishes the fig tree, so also will the unbelieving Jerusalem and its temple be destroyed in AD 70. 
So this is part of the eschatological chain of uh, that we'll work through when we get to the chapters 24 and 25 here in Matthew, that some of the prophecies are, in fact, reciting towards or pointing towards 70 AD. This cursing of the fig tree is a small indication of that, just a little bit of foreshadowing to take place here. This would be what we call partial preterism. This is an okay position to take. Most, in fact, uh, believe in this viewpoint that some of the prophecies Jesus gives are, in fact, in for AD 70, while some of them are, in fact, in for the end of times, the day that Jesus returns. There are two separate points in time that he is indicating. And if we believe that all of the prophecies are pointing to AD 70 and that, in fact, Jesus has already come in the second coming in that moment, this would be called full preterism or just simply preterism. This is, in fact, heresy because you are declaring the works of Christ to be fully complete. We're living in the new heavens and the new earth when we are promised that there would be no more sin, death, or you know, illness or, or anything like that. The devil would be destroyed. Judgment Day would have taken place. And yet, here we are, and none of those things have happened. So full preterism is heresy and blasphemy and should be therefore rejected. Partial, however, and, and I hate that there's a term even given for it because it makes it sound like it's related to it, but it's not because it, it, there's really just no connection to this. I wish we had a better term for some of the events uh, being correlated towards you know, 80, 70, and some of them being correlated towards the day of Christ's return. If there's a theological term out there and you just so happen to know what it is, then it's not part of partial preterism, DM me. I'd love to know. I just have never seen one in all my studies. So be aware of that. 80, 70 is only for part of it. And like I said, we'll talk more when we get to that section on eschatology. So just as Jesus punishes that fig tree, so the unbelieving uh, Jerusalem and its temple be destroyed, which will take place here in a few years. But even as Jesus acts it's in his judgment against the fruitlessness, he also promises great reward for the faithfulness. Faith moves mountains and knows that his prayers are to be heard and answered by God. Now, you can argue in verse 21 that Jesus is metaphorically speaking, that you can tell a mountain to be picked up and thrown into the sea. And... You can talk about it in the landscape of that metaphor being that God will do whatever it takes to get you that reward. And, and I've seen some false preachers use verses like this, 21 and 22, to simply state that God will do everything by, you know, moving the mountains and, you know, and, and destroying landscapes and everything just for you to get you what you want or what he's promised you. And... While some of that might be, like, there's just a hint of truth in it, it's not exactly how we should look at a verse like this. You could take it literally. However, the fact that humans doubt everything, there would be nobody who is capable of doing such a thing. Uh, if Christ wanted to do it, he could, because he has no doubt. He knows who he is. But even the most renowned Christian is going to have doubt. The most, you know, commissioned priest, pastor, monk, whatever it is, the most devoted person will still has slivers of doubt because we're human and we think it would be foolish to tell a mountain to jump into the sea and it's actually going to listen to us. So the literal translation is hard to, to, to kind of formulate in our mind when it doesn't exactly make sense. It could be a literal, but we, being humans, just can't grasp the literal intake of it. So 
Jesus gives us just a little bit to kind of nudge our understanding of the passage a little bit more, simply stating it as he closes this, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. And so it is a simple declaration that you will obviously doubt, but having just a little bit of faith, you can seek God and seek the things that you need in this life, not want, but need, and God will be faithful and give you those things. And it will be, in some cases, like moving mountains. Like You will feel like the whole earth shifted just for you. And in some cases, you'll find it to be such subtle movements like the wind blowing that you got what you needed. And in both of those instances, simply having faith is the key concept to all of this, the underlying principle, having faith. And I find there's always, there's always discussions and arguments and debates on social media around, you know, the Christian walk and faith and whether it's faith alone that saves or justifies, or is it faith plus works, or you know, how does that kind of boil down? And I come to passages like this and I see that Jesus isn't asking you to go and do these things. He's simply just saying, have faith, be a believer, trust in Christ and trust that God will deliver what it is that you need. And, and I think, too, we get, like I said, we get ourselves lost in this grander scope of wanting something versus needing something. We need clothing, shelter, food, water. And we can go on, as Luther describes in the small catechism, you know, we could need, in many instances, spouses, children, livestock, you know, things to, to uh, survive with and survive on and things that will help us to uh, bless our neighbors and bless our families. All of these things are our needs. A want would be like having a you know special type of car or house, or having you know luxury branded clothing, or having all of the latest tech, or having those special edition custom made books. I mean, not saying you can't have it, but is it a need or is it a want? And we have to really be particular on that. Praying to God for things that we want won't often get us those things, but praying to God for the things that we need, we'll see that God will, in fact, move mountains. You know, I pray to God for safety and health in my family, for safety and protection and uh, peace of mind, knowing that my family is safe when I'm not there to protect them, and that I have the strength and resilience to stand and defend them when needed. Those are things that I pray as a necessity for my psychological well-being. And, I, you know, obviously we pray for other things, you know, help us to provide, you know, a, a happy and safe home for our children, to have good food on the table for them, to have clothes on their backs, things like that. Those are all common prayers that we pray. So having faith is the caveat to being able to move the mountain. It's not that you are going to move the mountain because, let's face it, we're human. We doubt. We think it's foolish that we can go to the mountain and say, go jump in that sea and it's going to do it. But to have faith allows us to turn to God and say, God, I need this from you. I need this peace. I need this solemn. I need wisdom. I need strength. I need courage. All of these things can come to us by simply having faith. So 18 through 22 simply resolves to this by cursing a fruitless fig tree. Jesus reveals symbolically God's judgment against the faithless and fruitless portion of his covenant people. 
Though we are saved by faith alone, producing fruit for God and his kingdom is not optional. Though faithlessness rightly deserves God's wrath, God himself works faithfulness in us and grants us a rich, a rich rewarding of blessing. So faith and works are not separated. They are conjoined. You're saved by faith, and those works then come in connection and conjunction to said faith. The authority of Jesus challenged. We just read the, that passage a few minutes ago, so let's take a gander here at what is going on. So Jesus is now obviously in the temple. He's teaching and preaching. And the chief priests, you know, Jesus' favorite people, uh, come strolling in and start to raise havoc against him as, as well. So these leaders are continuing to watch him closely, hoping to find something to accuse him on, hoping to find a means by which they can cultivate a... A, an accusation against him on. And obviously we'll see how that takes place here shortly when they uh, essentially label it a blasphemous statement that Jesus will make and then they will order his arrest in doing so. So within a few days they will, will eventually succeed in their plans and uh, have him uh, sent through mock trials, beaten, flogged, and hung on a cross. So this is the chief concern right now for the Jerusalem leaders is to remove Jesus. So uh, so they challenged him by, what authority are you doing these things? And Jesus answered him that he's here in this uh, 24th verse. He says, well, I will ask you a question. And if you can tell me the answer, then I will tell you by whose authority I do these things. So he goes on to the baptism of John. So John the Baptist, if we remember correctly, all the way back in the early parts of Matthew, comes announcing the advent of the kingdom by calling for repentance. He's, you know, uh, shaking the weeds in the wilderness, and he's demanding that the people of Jerusalem pave away, the people of Israel pave away, and make their path straight for the Lord. The kingdom of God is at hand. So he says, where does this baptism that John is declaring, where does it come from? John baptized in the wilderness, and he was baptizing for repentance, turning people away from their unbelief and to belief, and uh, uh, turning people from their sinful ways to God. And so John is preparing the people for Christ, for the advent. And so this is the focus of Jesus's challenge. Now we do know by now, John has already been killed. He was beheaded. And so, but these people still talk about him. He's still, you know, conversational piece because the people believe that he is in fact a prophet. And that's, this is what they say here in uh, the latter part of 25 and 26. So, the baptism of John. Does it come from heaven or from man? Jesus asks this same question concerning John that his accusers have posed to him. By whose authority do he does he do these things? Where did John get this authority from? What is the source? Is it himself or is it from God? And they admit to essentially rejecting divine origin of John's message. And what's interesting is, is in their rejection of John's authority, they proved to be more hard-hearted than the common folk. And what they're doing is they're, they're stating that they would rather not answer Jesus because they know in their hearts that it should be from heaven. And they will then challenge uh, Christ. You know, the people will are not. Christ, they will challenge, the people will challenge them for the way they treat Christ. And by Christ giving them this kind of catch-all question, it really puts them into a corner and to state, 
you know, either we fully believe that you are divine by doing these things, or we believe that you're not and you have no authority, which then kind of seals their fate. And so they kind of discuss amongst themselves here. If we say it's from heaven, he will say to us, why do you not believe him? But if we say it's from man, then the crowds will grow angry and because they hold John as a prophet. So really, they are in a corner. No matter how they answer it with one or the other, they will find opposition from a, either from Christ or from the crowds. And, and if it comes from Christ, then the crowds would be on the side of Christ and will essentially, again, come against the Pharisees because of the way they're treating Jesus. So... They declare, or you know, the crowds view him as a prophet, John, as a prophet, and so they are making, you know, kind of the they're making him to be something that he was. In fact, we we declare that John the Baptist is a prophet, and the Pharisees and the scribes don't necessarily see it that way because they don't see Christ as being the Messiah. So they just see John essentially as more of a nuisance, and still, really, as being such because he's essentially shaking the ladders that they stand on. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's just simply here in the temple teaching and preaching. And the Pharisees don't like that. And so they come and challenge him on this. And by challenging him, they find themselves pinned in the corner by a very simple question. And the question in of itself is going to determine their eternal outcome. So that's, I mean, it's, it's kind of a really interesting turn of events here. However, we know that the Pharisees and the scribes will essentially wiggle themselves out of everything and then find a way to condemn Jesus here in a couple of days. So that is not, uh, in, you know, in their eyes, it won't be a negative factor because they're going to still uh, prosecute and send Christ through all of this persecution and then have him nailed to the cross. Their intention is to trap Jesus and have him you know, either confess that he is demonic or confess that he is not the Son of Man or to find a way to label him a blasphemer of God and have him arrested and killed for it. So they monks, they talk amongst themselves about this here. And in verse 27, they just simply say, we do not know. So the answer given by Jesus' opponent is really more insincere, uh, insincere and it's more cowardly. Even worse is the fact that they are denying the authority of God's Messiah. They have rejected John the Baptist now. They've rejected Christ, and they have hardened their hearts to such an extent. So Jesus simply replies, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So when his opponents challenged the source of his authority, Jesus exhibits a wisdom that powerfully attests to his status as the being the one sent by God. Like the opponents of Jesus, we sometimes challenge the authority of Jesus in an attempt to stand in judgment uh, of him, and by God rightly judging us, not vice versa. Jesus willingly submitted to the authority of those who falsely accused him and unjustly condemns him by to death. And by his death, we have won our salvation. So, all by the plan of God and Christ, he will eventually here be put to death. But in the meantime, he is still going to pin down his adversaries with these, you know, well-articulated questions. So, a little bit of an interesting note here. Um, we've got uh, we got about eight minutes. Why don't we see if we can work through this uh, parable. I'm just trying to see what our timeline is here. The parable of the two sons, and then we've got 33 to 45 on the parable of the tenants. So, 
let's do the parables next week. You know, even if they're shorter episodes, let's go ahead and just keep those together because I don't want to separate those two or have one that's, um, you know, we can make this show like 35 minutes and the next week's show would be like 12 minutes. So I don't want to do that. So uh, let's go ahead and close her down then. And uh, we'll keep moving through the text next week. I hope you guys have a great weekend. Uh, obviously, by now it's Friday, so get yourself in church on Sunday. If you have the desire to keep reading the Bible in a year, check out my Saturday shows. We're just doing recaps and, and kind of looking forward to's. So maybe you'll pick up something uh, for next week that you uh, should pay attention to and may not have noticed in the past. And hopefully that will help kind of keep you in the scriptures and keep you focused on these elements and these positions and hopefully uh, provide some insight that otherwise you may have missed. So uh, until then, ladies and gentlemen, have a great week. God bless. We'll see you all later.